Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live, featuring Dr. David Wilson, we continue our study, Knowing and Growing, from 2 Peter. In this week's message, the Apostle Peter assures Christians that in light of the coming of the day of the Lord, Christians ought to walk in holiness. But what does that look like? Turn to 2 Peter 3, verse 10, as we hear the coming day of the Lord from Pastor David Wilson, and we'll find out together. 2 Peter chapter 3. On a road through a desert in Arizona, there was a preacher named Nathaniel Evans. He walked every day preaching to the many people who zoomed past in their cars. He would, re- he would cry out, repent. The end of the world is near. One day as he was walking, he came upon a big lever in the middle of nowhere and just beside the road. And, and there was a sign in front of this lever that said, pull this to end the world. He thought this is the perfect place for him to preach. So Nathaniel started preaching there by this lever, pull this to end the world. People started stopping, cars Piled up everywhere. People were out. In fact, there were so many people, they blocked the road. And then a big 18-wheeler came down the highway and could not stop in time. The driver had a choice to make, run over Nathaniel or run over the lever. And later, the driver was explaining to the highway patrol he really had no choice. He pointed to the spot on the road that used to be Nathaniel Evans, and he said, better Nate than lever. The funny thing is, some people didn't even get that. (laughs) Maybe you'll forgive me for that one. Peter is refuting what the false teachers are saying. In verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. But then in verse 10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The day of the Lord. Peter mentions the day of the Lord. He's not talking about a 24-hour period. He's talking about a series of events that the Scripture talks about. You can look all through the Old and New Testament, and you're going to see references to the second coming of Jesus. And there are a lot of events that are going to take place under the umbrella of the day of the Lord, and that's what he's talking about here. 
And he reminds us that even though there are scoffers and even though there are people who say it's not going to happen because, after all, he hasn't come back in their lifetime. And and when Peter wrote this in the mid-60s, not the 1960s, the 60s, A.D., it already been 30-something years since Jesus had ascended, since Peter had seen Jesus last. And they were saying, see, you've been talking about him coming again, and he has not come back. And now, now 2,000 years later, there are a lot of people who are scoffing, saying, you really think he's coming? Of course, last week we looked at how limitless God is and that time to God is immaterial. But Peter refutes these accusations, and he begins with a reaffirmed advent, a reaffirmed second coming, a reaffirmed coming, and an admonition. The word but, don't miss it in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come. It's emphatic. He's making a statement that says, even though there are people who deny it, and back in chapter 3, verse 4, they said, where is the promise of his coming? Peter said, you know, I know it's been a while, and he mentioned several reasons why God hadn't come. He said, first of all, time is immaterial to God. If you really want to think about it, it's only been a couple of days since Jesus has been gone. thousand years to God is like a day to you and me. It's really immaterial. And the second thing he said, that God is very long-suffering. He's very patient. He wants people to come to know him. And then he said also that, that it is going to happen. But the day of the Lord will come. According to the timeline of the book of Revelation, it says that, that this, this burning up is going to happen just before the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to look at that in just a second. But there's going to be a judgment. He said the, Lord, the day of the Lord is going to come, and then there's going to be a judgment. And he's got to be referring to what John later called the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. The great white throne judgment happens after the return of the Lord, before the new heavens and new earth, before the millennium. Or, excuse me, after the millennial reign of Christ, then the, then the great white throne judgment happens where everybody without Jesus is going to be there. Now, you, we, may, we may witness it. I'm sure we will, but we're not going to stand in judgment before God because your judgment has already been taken care of through Jesus Christ. And so when you're there, you don't have to worry about standing in the great white throne judgment where those whose names are not found in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. But he reaffirms a couple of things here. He says a couple of statements about this second coming, about this day of the Lord. He said, first of all, you can count on it, but you cannot calculate it. Now, what I mean by that is it doesn't mean that we can't see prophecies that are being fulfilled and get an idea of when it might happen, or we know that it's growing closer and closer. You cannot tell the time or day or day that Jesus is coming back. And anyone that ever comes up to say, well, I know the day of the Lord is going to be this, they are lying. I'm telling you, they don't know. I don't care how many prophecies have been fulfilled. You cannot calculate the day that Jesus will return. But it is going to happen. Just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it's not going to. 
In fact, that's what Peter reminds us. If you recall uh, earlier in this chapter, he said, the people who scoff at the, that Jesus is not coming have forgotten a couple of things. They've forgotten, first of all, that by the word of God, creation came into existence. And they've also forgotten the intervention of the flood that wiped out the human race at that time other than Noah and his family. They've forgotten that God with a word intervened and, and changed everything. And he said, when with a word, God is now going to change everything again. He said, but you need to remember he's going to come as a thief in the night. Now, this may not appeal to intellectual people that call themselves intellectual. There, there are a lot of people today who are intellectual uh, depends on your definition of intellectual. If they know a lot of facts, fine. If they have a lot of wisdom, no. But even Paul proclaimed to the philosophers and the intellectuals on Mars Hill in Athens, you can find this in Acts 17:30. Listen to what Paul said. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he, God, has fixed a day he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, capital M, Jesus, whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Amen. In other words, God, the proof is he's raised him from the dead. God's fixed a day. There is coming a day of judgment. You can count on it. You just don't know when it's going to happen. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, Watch therefore, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Paul wrote the Thessalonians. They thought he was going to return in their lifetime. Listen to what he said. For you, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren are not in darkness. I love that phrase. We are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. We're looking for him, aren't we? I've already told you he's missed a lot of good opportunities to come back in my humble opinion. But he's still coming. Just because he hasn't gotten here yet does not mean he's not coming. We're looking for him. Sort of reminds me of a, a family where... The woman kept waking up at night and she would hear noises in the house and she would be afraid. So she would woke, wake up her husband and say, go see, I, I heard something. I know somebody's in the house. And he'd get up and go look and there wouldn't be anybody. Then this went on for years and years and years. And wouldn't you know it, that one night she heard a noise, woke him up. He with a sigh got out, had his flashlight, walked downstairs. And sure enough, there was an intruder there. He came face to face with this intruder and the man said, stuck out his hand. He said, I, I want to meet you and I want you to come up the stairs and meet my wife. She's been looking for you for many years. <laughs> We're looking for Jesus. We've been looking for him for many years. 
We know he's coming. Paul, excuse me, Peter reaffirms the coming, the advent, the coming of Jesus. But he also states what I call an admonition. Creation will experience cremation. He says, the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. The heavens is plural, referring to the sky and space, not heaven where God is when we think of heaven. He's talking about the sky and all of creation is going to be burned up. Now, it would be uh, an interesting thought to think that Peter actually thought about atomic theory but we know he didn't. But the Holy Spirit, under the, the Holy Spirit, inspired him to write terminology that makes sense to you and me now. Because we're in the atomic age, we've seen the splitting of the atom. They tell us—I don't know how who measured it—but they tell us that in the that the splitting of an atom can create two trillion degrees centigrade, not Fahrenheit. I don't know how they measured that. I'm just going to take their word for it. We also know it says it's going to be done away with. All the elements are going to be burned up with a fervent heat. They're going to be destroyed, which means to separate something into its component parts. The word elements means the primary and basic could literally refer to the basic nuclear structure of the universe. On the day of the Lord, the most basic building blocks of the material universe will fly away with a fervent heat. All God has to do is speak it. He created it. He's got to speak it. You know what an Etch-A-Sketch is? You know, the little red tablet with the two white knobs on it, and about all I could ever do was just go like this with it. <laughs> Did you ever have one of those? Just, I couldn't draw with it. Some people could draw with it, not me. But the thing about it, whenever you make your picture and you want to start again, what do you do? You either turn it over or you shake it. That's what God's going to do with the universe. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. All this stuff that we know about is going to pass away with a great noise. We know that an atomic blast brings in air, an air front like a hurricane or one like it blew here Friday. <laughs> I was out of town Friday. I got back. I thought somebody had a backhoe and dumped dirt on my porch. <laughs> I'm kind of glad I missed Friday, but I... I can still see dirt on some of you. It must have really been bad Friday. <laughs> but it's going to be burned up with a great noise, with a fervent heat. The, the world's going to come to an end one day. I sound like a doom and gloom guy today, but let me tell you something. There's hope for us as believers. This is not going to be all bad news, but if you don't know Jesus, you need to be afraid. Because time and time again, God is warned and saying, it's going to come. Next time it happens, it's going to be with fire. It's going to burn up. It's going to fly apart. And if you stop and think about all the ways that people put their trust in all of the things of the world. Some of, some of you right now feel pretty secure. You got all the money you need to retire on. You've got your investments done. 
But every time the stock market begins to fluctuate, people get worried, don't they? Because let me tell you something. If your security is on anything on this earth, you are not secure, period. Only two things on this earth that are everlasting. People. People are everlasting. And the word of God. It will endure forever, it says. Everything else? It's been earmarked, it's been stamped for destruction. It's not going to be here anymore. But it's so relevant for our time. Think how many people are pinning all their hopes on the temporary things of this earth. They're hoping we get a better government. They're hoping that we find a pill that's going to cure all the diseases. They're hoping that they're going to find something and make us live forever. They're hoping, hoping, hoping for peace and safety and so forth and so on. And they are in for the biggest disappointment ever because there's nothing on this earth that is lasting. You've heard of the Big Bang Theory, how they don't have a better explanation. So some big bang happened to create the universe. I don't believe that, but I do believe in the big bang that's going to end it. Or maybe we can call it the big burn. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's going to end that way. So what do we do? We know he's going to come. We know that everything's going to be burned up, which leads the old apostle to give us the resulting appeal to believers. Verse 11 and 12. What would you do if you knew the day of the Lord was coming in four weeks? What would you do if you knew you were going to die in four weeks? The Bible study group was discussing that unforeseen possibility and the leader said, we, we're all going to die someday. None of us really knows when, but when we did, we would all do a better job of preparing ourselves for that inevitable event. Everybody nodded their head in agreement. And the leader said, what would you do if you knew you only had four weeks of life remaining before your death? Then the great judgment day. And a gentleman said, I would go out into my community and minister the gospel to those who have not yet accepted the Lord into their lives. Very good, the group leader said, and all the group members agreed that would be a very good thing for you to do. One lady spoke up and said enthusiastically, I would dedicate all my remaining time to serving God, my family, my church, my fellow man with a greater conviction. That's wonderful, the group leader commented. All the group leaders agreed it'd be a great thing to do. But one gentleman in the back finally spoke up loudly and said, I'd go to my in-law's house for four weeks. Everybody was puzzled. Why your in-laws? He said, because that would make it the longest four weeks of my life. <laughs> Folks, I'm here to tell you, the Lord's going to come back. So what are we supposed to be doing? Several things. First of all, he mentions what I call consecrated actions in verse 11. Holy conduct. The word conduct speaks of a way of life. The word holy means the conduct that is distinct from the evil world. You know what that is. Holiness has two sides to it. First of all, we are to be separated from evil. Now, that doesn't mean you can hide from it, and you're not any better than anyone else. You've just been forgiven. But I don't have to stand up here and give you the list of evil, do I? 
Because the Holy Spirit tells you. Holy Spirit says, wait a minute, what are you doing over here? What are you watching this for? Where are you here for? Why are you partaking of this? Why, why, why? This is not what the Lord wants you to do. You and I are supposed to be changed. We've come out of darkness into light. We have. And so we're different. That's why church people who are only church people are no different than the world. And the reason is the world has so much come into the church, they can't tell the difference. We're very seldom accused of being a holy people. We're, we're always accused of being hypocrites and we're accused of, of all kinds of things. Part of it is because we've so, become so much like the world in church that we want to just in, we want the world to feel comfortable in church. Now, what I mean by that is I want them to feel welcome. I want people to be friendly. But I want to tell you when the truth of God begins to, uh, you begin to understand the truth of God, it is not comfortable. Like today's not, it can't be comfortable for you if you don't know Jesus. When I'm sitting here reading from the word of God and Peter says that the judgment of God will one day come. It can't be comfortable for you. Holiness, holy conduct means to stay away from evil. Again, we're not looking down our nose at anyone. But folks, if you're involved in something that you would not be comfortable with if I were standing around you, well, you just remember the Holy Spirit is perfect, and I'm not. And I'm not the God police, but you understand. That's the point I'm trying to make. If you've got to second guess, if you've got to justify in your mind what you're doing by trying to find a loophole in here, then most of the time it's wrong. Stay away from it. And then the other side of holiness is to, to, have a, to love the things of God from his word, to love that. I want to do what you want me to do, Lord. Consecrated actions. We're supposed to be living like godly people, lights in a world of darkness. The second thing are committed attitudes. Verse 11 says to be, have godliness. The same word that he uses it back in chapter 1, verse 3, that God has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He included it in the list of chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. The word translated godly has the idea of devotion to the Lord. It also has behind it the word of worship to the Lord. It's a God consciousness. When you go to work tomorrow or you go to school tomorrow or you go to the restaurant here after a while, wherever you may go, do you have a God consciousness? I'm thinking about the Lord. What would he have me to do? How I interact with people. Lord, I love you. When you come in here, do you actually worship the Lord? You're just saying, my Jesus I love thee. Did you really mean it? See, it's an attitude that, that leads to godly conduct or holy conduct. But it's an attitude, Lord, I, I belong to you. I want to serve you. I want to live for you. You're my everything. If it weren't for you, I would be facing the judgment that Peter is talking about here. 
But one other thing, a third characteristic is a continued anticipation. Three times in verses 12, 13, and 14. Excuse me, 12, yeah, 12, 13, and 14. We haven't gotten to 14 yet. We'll do that next Sunday. But he's using the word looking for. Looking for. The Christian is constantly looking for the return of Christ. I know when things get bad. I know when troubles come. I know when circumstances are bad. I know that Jesus is either going to take me home or he's going to come back. What hope we have. I've just got the anticipation. You know, I'm going to win either way. If I get a terminal illness and I die, I win. If Jesus comes back, I win. I love being in a win-win, can't-lose situation, don't you? And the only person that can put you there is Jesus. But we've got this anticipation. But also notice something else in verse 12. It says, hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Hastening. How can I hasten the coming of the Lord? How can I speed it up? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about the fact that you might have something to do with it? Most of us think, well, I don't have anything to do with the coming of the Lord. Yes, we do. Every time, every time we share the gospel, every time we share the gospel, sometimes it's planting a seed, sometimes it's watering that seed, sometimes we get to see the harvest when the person accepts Jesus. But every time we share the gospel with this lost world, we're a step closer to the return of Jesus. Because back earlier in the chapter, it says, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should repent. I'm not that perish, but come to repentance. We say that correctly. Every time we invest in evangelism and missions, every time we share with missionaries who are sharing around the world where people have never heard, we are advancing, hastening the second coming of Christ. So this anticipation that he's coming... He reaffirms the second coming of Jesus. He warns of the judgment. He tells us how to live while we're waiting for that. But he also gives us a repeated assurance. He's told us time and time again, verse 13, nevertheless, we, underline this phrase, according to his promise. Not any promise any preacher ever made to you or any church ever made to you, any denomination ever made to you, according to his promise. God made a promise. God doesn't break his promises. Look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. New. New. Two words for new in the New Testament, kainos, which means new of a totally different kind. Neos, new of the same kind. Now, which one do you think Peter used here when he talks about a new heaven and a new earth? New of a totally different kind. You see, Jesus isn't going to remodel the earth. 
God's not going to remodel this place. It's going to be new, untouched by sin. Righteousness will dwell. Can you imagine? Some of you have got got this idea because you got it from secular thought that this new heaven and new earth is going to be one eternal bore. Like some of you look right now, you look a little bored. I, I'm not stupid. I just look stupid, but I'm not stupid. I can tell when you're with me and when you're not. Some of you are with me. Some of you never made it in the room. Some people think heaven's going to be that way. I'm going to sit and listen to a preacher for eternity. Well, I've already been listening to him for 25 minutes. It seems like eternity. Some of you have got this idea from cartoons that we're going to be sitting on a cloud strumming a harp with some halo around us. Who would want to go there? The closest you can find of of the glimpse of this place is in Revelation 20 and 21, and you can read that for yourself. John got a glimpse of it. He said, I don't have the vocabulary to describe it. See, it's hard for you and I to think of a color we've never seen. It's hard for us to imagine gold that's clear. I mean, he, he said, I, I'm doing the best I can, but it's, I'm not even going to come close. Paul got a glimpse of heaven, and he, he said, I can't describe it. It's not a boring place, and it's definitely not filled with smoke. Every time Hollywood tries to portray heaven, you've got to fan smoke or what clouds away to find somebody there. That's a bunch of baloney. Maybe they're just trying to show that they're, I guess it could go either way. You could be heaven or hell if it's smoke. That's what they think. But the, the, fact, but the fact is, he said, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth. An earth that's never been touched by sin. And it's his promise. He promised you a new body. There ought to be a hundred thousand amens to that. Yay! The older I get, the newer one I want. Heaven for believers, eternity for believers. It's beyond description. (laughs) You're going to want to go there. You're going to want to go there. Hell is beyond description. They make a lot of jokes about it, but I want to tell you something. There's not one funny thing about it. Not one. Not one shred of hope about it. So Peter is saying Christ is coming back suddenly, unexpectedly. Make sure your life is ready for him to come. I got amused at an account I read of a mother who went to the youth pastor of her church and said, I can't get my daughter to clean up her room. Is there anything you can do to help? He said, I think I can actually. So he announced to the youth group the next week that he was going to come over unannounced to some of their houses and take a picture of their room and put it on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, whatever you're going to put it on. 
So everybody could see, he said, all of a sudden, teenagers' rooms in the youth group got cleaner. (laughs) Well, we're knowing that Jesus is coming back. We need to live like it. I want to remind you that God's people have nothing to fear about the future day of the Lord. You don't have to be afraid. Isn't it good to know you don't have to be afraid if you know Jesus? If Jesus is your Savior, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, you've committed your life to Christ. Now, if you just go to church and you don't know Jesus, you need to be afraid. Be very afraid. God's people need to always remember that this world and everything in it will be gone. Laura and I were driving yesterday. I think it was yesterday. We were, I asked this question. I said, if all of a sudden, if all of a sudden you and I became multimillionaires, can you think of anything that we need to buy that we don't already have? We couldn't think of anything. Now, I might like to have a lake house somewhere, but you bet other than that, you know. I'm just teasing you. But, but seriously, all I, I said, we got to thinking, all I would do was buy something maybe newer that I already have, but that would be it. But everything I have, regardless of how new or old or collectible, it's all going to be gone. And I'm like the lady who said, I thank God that I can't take it all with me. It's the only way I'll get rid of all this stuff. (laughs) You're not going to have any of it. It's all temporary. You're going to leave it all behind. Even if it outlasts you, it's all going to be burned up. It's got a schedule on it. God's people need to develop their own holy life, their holy lives and godly ways of living to forgive and to, and to move on and to quit worrying about stupid stuff here on this earth and have good relationships with people because I want to tell you, they are forever. People are forever. The stuff you have isn't. And last of all, you need to understand, we need to understand that people who without Jesus, they are in darkness and they are doomed to spend eternity in darkness. If you don't know Jesus, what are you waiting on? I wish I could give him to you. I wish I could make the decision for you. I really do. I really wish I could. All I can do is make it simple for you to respond, but the response is still the same. It's still to Jesus. It's still repenting of your sin, telling God that you for asking, telling that you're turning from your sin. God, I'm coming to you. I have no hope without you. Would you forgive me? I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again. I believe, Jesus, that you're the only way to save, be saved, and I commit my life to you. You're not just praying a prayer, but you're making a commitment of your life. And if you're watching in the venue, if you're watching on television, if you're watching online, if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus right now, I can assure you the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. 
that uncomfortableness you feel, that tug at your heart, that urgency, whatever it is, how you want to describe it, is the Holy Spirit saying, you need to listen to him because he's telling you the truth. You need Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you, Pastor David. In verses 10 through 13 of 2 Peter 3, Peter assures Christians that the day of the Lord will definitely come, but at a time unknown to us. This old cursed world will be burned up and a new heaven and new earth will be created according to God's own promise. He calls us all to holy conduct and godliness as we anticipate this new world where perfect righteousness dwells. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Southcrest Baptist Church. Services are 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings and 6 p.m. on Wednesdays. We're located at 3801 South Loop 289 in Lubbock, Texas. If you can't join us in person, be part of our online congregation at southcrestlive.tv to stream our Sunday services live at 9.30 or 11. For more information, visit our website at southcrest.org.